the Art of Leadership Network. Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. It's Carrie here, and I hope our time together today helps you thrive in life and leadership. Sean Kennel is back on the podcast today. And man, if you are like still trying to figure out this video thing or maximize the little thing you've got going, you got a tight budget, well, you come to the right place. Today's episode is brought to you by Leader. You can get 20% off your first year of their people development software by using the promo code Carrie, C-A-R-E-Y. When you go to leader.com, that's L-E-A-D-R.com. And by Overflow, you can empower your donors to easily give stock donations. Go to overflow.co slash carry, that's .co, not .com, slash carry, to learn more about year-end pricing and download their free stock giving guide. Well, I'm really excited to have Sean back on the podcast today. He is the CEO of Think Media and the co-founder of Video Influencers. He's a YouTuber, international speaker, one of today's leading online video experts, and the world's most watched YouTube strategist. Sean's YouTube channels combined have over 2 million subscribers. His videos have been viewed over 130 million times. He's been featured in the 20 must-watch YouTube channels that'll change your business by Forbes. And uh, well, after growing a six-figure income as a tech YouTuber, he built a seven-figure online education company that he runs today. And we talk about his personal life. Uh, I released a book just over a year ago called At Your Best. And when Sean read it, he made that his entire company's theme for the year. So explore that, how he manages a high growth video company while also trying to maintain a life as a young dad and a husband. So we talk about all those things and then we get into strategy. So I wanted to particularly angle this episode for those of you, which is about 80% of all businesses and churches who don't have a massive budget, who are trying to figure out how can I do this. So hang on for that. I think you're really gonna enjoy it. Welcome to all of our new listeners. Uh, we are so glad to have you. Hey, and the way this thing grows is when you share it with a friend. So if you love this, uh, text your team the link, uh, post it to social, whatever you want to do. When you do that, we can do more of this. Well, I'm talking with leaders all the time. And what I hear is that one-on-one -on -one meeting effectiveness has become a felt need, especially in light of employees leaving, being dissatisfied. My friends at Leader are working to solve that problem. They're the first ever people development software focused on helping you have better one-on-one -on -one meetings that are employee focused, that drive engagement and put an end to meeting dread. You know, when you look at your calendar, it's like all meetings, it's like, oh, well, you can fix that. As a one-stop shop software solution for all things people-focused, they help you streamline your habits and they get effective feedback, clear goals, and better performance reviews when you use their software. And it starts with the one-on-one -on -one meeting. So check out leader.com, that's L-E-A-D-R.com. And you can get 20% off when you use the promo code CAREY, C-A-R-E-Y, for your first year. So check it out at leader.com. And have you ever thought, why don't we have more money at our church or nonprofit? Like, why don't people give us their stock? Well, there's a huge misconception in the giving space today. Many of your donors actually want to give stock because it's the most tax-efficient way to give. They just don't want to jump through all the hoops to do so. And the hoops before Overflow or without Overflow are significant. So Overflow is an online software that empowers donors to easily give stock donations to churches and nonprofits within minutes not months. And did you know that 90% of U.S. wealth is in non-cash assets like stock and churches that only accept cash donations? Well, they get about $128 per donor. The average stock donation through overflow is $10,000 plus. So unlock more giving channels 
Visit overflow.co slash carry. It's not too late. The year isn't over yet. And that's, by the way, .conot.com to learn more about year-end pricing and download their free stock giving guide. That's overflow.co slash carry. And now my conversation with Sean Cannell. Sean, welcome back to the podcast. Carrie, I'm fired up to be with you again. So grateful for you. Thanks for having me. Hey, I love talking to you. And we're going to get into YouTube. We're going to talk about your updated edition of YouTube Secrets. But I'd love to start with you. If we we rewind, if I can say that in English, we rewind to about a, a year ago, the fall of 2021. Um, you were going through something and you reached out to me because you picked up a copy of my book, At Your Best. And I would love to replay that for leaders because we have a lot of high octane people listening right now. And you're definitely one of those with explosive growth in Think Media. And where'd you find yourself about a year ago? Yeah, I mean, a year ago, I remember um, I was reading your book, also listening to the audio book. And then I was on a run. I like to run and listen to the audio books, audiobooks. And um, we were thinking about our annual theme and I was wondering what our annual theme was. And I really heard the, you know, God drop in my spirit. Uh, our annual theme is at our best. Um, and, you know, the book's at your best. But I was like, man, if, if we could do this as a team, because everything you were speaking in the book was speaking right to me. Uh, things like saying, you know, if we keep making the excuse that this is just a season, but the season never ends. Um, if you're scared for your company to scale because you just think, listen, if it gets any bigger than this, it's going to break down. But then casting hope for the fact that, but there's a better way. And so if you have the right systems and tools that, of course, there's companies or churches that could grow to 100 staff, 200 staff, 500 staff, like you can grow and still be healthy, but it all comes back to learning this skill set of being, you know, at your best. So it was, it just struck a chord right where we were. And I, I shared it with our executive team and they're like, love the theme. And it's just been transformational. So it's, we're now about a year into applying it and trying to live it out. We bought the book for the team and we've continually brought back this theme of people having self-awareness for their green, yellow, red zones. And overall, it's it's been a year of just being more intentional. And one of the, I think the most powerful things for leaders is to have language, because then once language and frameworks, they give you handles so that you can reset your focus and be unified around what are we talking about, and also what are we striving for. And of course, it's it, we've done it imperfectly. I literally just got off a one-on-one -on -one meeting with a team member um, who is grateful for the also better work-life balance we've had as a team culture at Think, but also recognizes that it's a work in progress. And that's, I think, some of what we've seen. We haven't been doing it perfectly, but uh, we've been so much more intentional and we've been unifying unified around this idea as a team. And it's been incredibly helpful. I'm curious because, you know, I think for anybody who, whether you're preaching a sermon, writing a book, creating a course, whatever you happen to be doing, you're always interested to see how this plays out in the real world. Because I know how it played out in my life. I know how it's played out in other people. But I'm curious, like, biggest difference in your life? Because you are a high octane, high growth kind of leader running an explosively growing company. So how did the, what were the biggest differences you saw in your own life? Also as a, a now two-time dad of very young children. Yes. Congrats. I think I think just trusting you and allowing this content 
to affect my calendar. Because left to my own insanity, I will always overly say yes, overly pack my calendar. And so by opening up this conversation, I think the biggest unlock was I, it started a conversation with my executive team and specifically my personal assistant, Jordan. And I actually listened and took action on her feedback and handed over relinquished control, which there's still sometimes a fight because I will always push for it. We can make that happen. What if we do this? If I fly in at this time and do, you know, but, but by, by at least in our hopefully wise, thoughtful, healthy moments, make the framework and then uh, allow yourself to go back to the framework, uh, when you're crazy and probably going to overschedule. So even more practical, we've just done a list of things that have also tried to create this at our best culture. So at one point, one of our team directors mentioned, we should take federal holidays off. Why do we not take federal holidays off? And I was like, (laughs) yeah, let's start there. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, okay, that's a really great question. I'm glad you brought it up. So we changed that. We also are doing what's called flex days after an intense sprint because people, of course, if they're a W-2 with us, they have got their two weeks of vacation and things like that. But this year, Christmas and Christmas Eve land on a Saturday and Sunday, and we're not usually flexing those days. So what we're, so we're actually, we are, we're, we're going, we're closed Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and you can have two flex days over the next five weeks that you put anywhere in addition to the two weeks of vacation time that you're allocating as well. And so that's been helpful. Um, we've, just the more aggressively saying no and using your how to say no frameworks. And then um, the biggest one for me was we committed to the team kind of enforced healthily that we would take Fridays off, my wife and I. Now, here's what happened. It didn't work, like not even kind of. However, it completely worked, and this is why. So every week it says, there's a big block in my Google calendar that says, Sean's off, Sean's dark. And it was going to go, it was just through the summer at first. And then it was, it was like, let's just not even stop this. Well, what happened is, is yes, there's some overflow that may hit it. So a few things happen in the morning or I'll catch up on one thing, but the net result has been at least like a half day off on Friday, if not an entire day off on Friday, if not a few things on there, but just more margin that even helps me catch up on work or catch up on devotionals and give it a little margin or just be in and out with the family more that day by being aggressive and kind of blocking it all out. Some things have crept in. And I think that's, for us, I think that's a pretty good picture of health because that keyword there is just margin. By by forcing Mm -hmm. some margin, it wasn't a perfection of like all dark, I'm unavailable, we haven't reached that level. And, but I found that to be enough. It has been it, it more margin is giving me more, you know, peace of mind, health as a leader. And so I think that's been the biggest impact was letting the content impact my calendar. Well, I'm really happy for you because I think there is sustainability. And one of my regrets was I didn't know this in my 30s. You know it in your 30s and you've got it while your kids are young. So you are going to have a very different future because of it. But I want to, it's funny because this summer we went to a four-day work week too. And I haven't talked a lot about it publicly, 
my team loves it. Like we came back in the fall and I'm like to the leadership team, hey, we should reevaluate like the four day work week. And they're like, no, real short conversation. Keep it. I'm like, okay, yeah. Like once you let that genie out of the bottle, it's hard to put back in. But it's funny in the fall, like in the summer, I'd say it was mostly successful. But in the fall, what's happening, because the weather's not as nice, at least where most of my team lives across the U.S. and in Canada, is we're letting a little bit of work creep back, but we're not booking stuff. And I've said, like, how does that feel if you have to do a little bit on a Friday? And they're like, you know what? Like, it's not a big deal. I just open up my laptop, work for an hour, and then I'm done. But it's like, otherwise, that can creep into Saturday or Sunday. And so we found that great. Um, I want to ask you, you said trust. you trusted me and you trusted my advice to say no, which feels like a lot of responsibility. But I've had to do that too. Just yesterday, I said no to two, like a guy who sold over a million books. I said, no, we're not going to do a joint venture. And then I talked to a CEO of a billion dollar company who wanted to partner on something. And I said no as well, because it wasn't in our lane of focus. And part of me goes to bed going, you idiot. Like, are you like, there is always that fear of missing out or that fear of loss, but I have clarity on my audience, it's church leaders uh, or people invested in the church like you. Um, and, you know, it's it's hard. Like, how did you navigate that saying no, not making it work, fear of letting people down? Because I think that's the biggest issue for a lot of driven leaders. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's it's been getting just voices of reason around me. Um, and I, I have it passed through a couple tests. My wife is uh, the CFO of our company. Our team communicates in Slack. And Shayla now on our team is working. Her role is called PR, which is kind of on whether it's stages or podcasts or things related to our book and different things like that. And then Jordan on our team has been a co-executive assistant for both Heather Torres and I. And so saying that those are maybe like the different people that are involved and it's trying to empower all of them to have a voice. Of course, my wife has the overruling thing. But what we'll do is we just are trying to use an opportunity evaluator uh, by juggling multiple different factors. It is what's happening in the season, what are our priorities in the season, what are our values in the season. Um, and then ultimately um, tagging uh, my wife, I will say, okay, I'll, I'll tag her. So I'll start a conversation. So it's, mm. it's practically, it'd be like, Shayla will say da da da. So I'll say, okay, say, so Sonia, what would you think about this? And then I might say, hey, Jordan, is there anything else? And then, and then we just process it in Slack and we can come to a conclusion. And then from there, that well, I'd say pre that, they're already doing a lot of filtering. So probably the good news is the way to say no best at a particular level in your business or in if you're very busy in ministry is actually handing over decision making frameworks. So a lot of stuff doesn't even get to you. But even if those things are are now on my radar, there's still many challenging ones. To your point, it's, you know, a billion dollar business or billionaire wants, you know, like these are some yeah, like those very are real hard problems that show up. Yeah, it's really hard. Not. It's really, and, and we're getting, yeah, opportunity overwhelm as your platform grows can become something that's very real. So, so we just try to process them one by one. I think the actual saying no part, I've been more okay with once we just are firm on why we're saying no. And I found even recently, like even last night, I had an opportunity. I was on a podcast here locally in Vegas and they said, hey, you want to come over for tacos after? 
this other big YouTube creator and this person and this person is going to be there. I was like, that's amazing. And I was like, my commitment though is my 11 week old baby. I've been gone during the day. Uh, my wife is incredible and I'm coming home tonight. I'm not going to bring it up. And, and, and honestly, she probably would have said you, you should do that. That's a great opportunity. But I was like, I'm not even going to bring it up because I am aware of my priorities. I have a certain amount of bandwidth that I can say yes to. I'm Put, I'm putting that also very heavily in a nine to five window and I'm aggressively guarding evenings. So I was able to tell him, I said, Hey, listen, and, and this was, I told Andre and I go, Hey, listen, I appreciate the invite. I got an 11 week old and that's my commitment during this season. I would love to do stuff like this in the future. Please keep inviting me. I'll probably keep saying no for a season and no, that's because this is what my commitment is in this particular season. Um, but, it, but I'd love to be there. And again, I, I am like all in being there and he goes, I totally understand. And so I, I, that was, that was kind of a, my no framework in that moment was just being really clear. Like, I'm going to go home. I'm going to be with my family. I appreciate the invite and don't think me turning it down even in the future is, is a no for any other reason than this just doesn't fit right now. I love you. I respect you. I want to, you know, find a way to collab. So we're just doing our best, but it's an ongoing process for sure. Yeah, you know what? That is such good advice. I love that framing because there's definitely a few opportunities that are like, don't keep inviting me. And you don't want to say it. You want to be gracious. Yeah. But then there are some where it's like, yeah, you know what? It's not strategic right now. And I think those are the easiest to make exceptions to. But I love that. Keep inviting me. Keep reaching out. I may say no, but eventually I'll probably say yes. And, you know, Mr. Beast can wait. I'm sure he was disappointed too. That's right. He couldn't meet with you. I'm kidding. Um, all right. So you did your first. It, you know, this framework doesn't just mean you're saying no to everything. You said yes to a huge thing, the Growth Video Conference in Vegas, big live event. Um, so first of all, congratulations. And you had two heroes of mine, Pat Flynn and Gary V there. Like you got Gary V to the event. I'd love to hear from you what you learned in staging your first, I think it was your first massive live event and what you learned from guys like Pat and Gary V. Yeah. So, um, it was our fifth growth video live, but you're right. It was our first massive event. It was a crazy leap. Priorly, we had two back-to-back -back years of virtual only the two biggest pandemic years, 2020, 2021. And, Prior to that, our largest event was 250 people. That was like a one and a half day thing in Vegas. And then our first one was like 80 to 100 people. So on this fifth one, we jumped up to almost 1,200 physical tickets sold, a couple thousand virtual tickets sold, a thousand concurrent viewers. Interestingly enough, never more than 800 people were in the room. It was about 785, even though in person tickets were sold, no refunds requested, whether they were in the lobby, whether it was still a weird travel season, whether it was pop into one session and not another. Um, very interesting numbers in terms of how many people actually in the room were counted. But to that point- Pretty common these days. Yeah. And uh, we noticed that this event cost us $917,000 and uh, we were profitable in ticket sales. And then we also made an offer. So uh, it, it we learned a lot there. Um, and I think a couple of takeaways were I really- Number one, believe people are hungry for in-person connection. We really saw that. There's some people that are so hesitant, but but there's just nothing that replaces that in-person connection, um, networking with each other, each other, the energy of in-person. 
I think number two, hybrid is the future. Mm. For anybody listening to this, you need to do online well. You, I think just a stream is not okay. Just setting up your phone or just fly on the wall. Yeah, we're going to give you a stream. We're going to give you a feed. I really think hybrid is the future. What does that mean? It means we had a virtual studio. It means we had a host. It means we were thoughtful to acknowledge and speak to and connect with the online um, community. Even though all the speakers were just the main stage speakers, uh, we would then pull them backstage. We'd have different things. I understand there's quite a large technological challenges that come up with that. But I think for leaders listening to this, this is just not a point you can ignore with how many people are maybe still thinking about staying home or leery of coming in person, but also with just how dynamic the world is. Me now realizing as an entrepreneur, as a parent, we also split our time between Seattle and Vegas now, pretty much half and half. So I'm very committed to my local church in Vegas, City Light Church, but I'm recognizing like what me all in looks like is me like not there a lot, (laughs) you know, so- And I'm still all in. So City Light Church has committed to, I think it's a really good church to look up on on YouTube in terms of the worship production, the the video production. And it's pretty cool. We're in a building campaign right now, but people are always shocked when they visit because the worship center is not super large. They've made... Mm -hmm. They have made some incredible, it's sort of like, you know, it's not about your resources, it's about your resourcefulness. Mm-hmm. They have used what they have, invested dollars strategically, and it's very helpful, like Omar al is one of the pastors there, and he's one of the content creators on Think Media. So you kind of have the full force of Think Media, our brain power, and some of the experts on our team that just deeply care about the quality of video production. But all I have to say is I think that really thinking about how do I do online well and not forget about it when that was maybe the only thing you were doing. And that's, I think, the challenge. It splits your focus. Your Mm -hmm. focus is for sure split. So you need leaders who is thinking about this. And so who is really thinking about the online experience and the in-person experience. And then the third thing I learned was events are really hard. I mean, (laughs) I've known that, but they're so hard. and, And we're not even doing one this next year so we can be at our best. Um, our, our theme for this next year is built to last. And for that reason, it's, it's also, we are having some leadership transitions. We're having some things. We just have a chance that we're realizing that we need to strategically slow down and simplify work on our org chart, work on some things so that we could build for the future. This event is a grace for us. Our platform supports it. The revenue supports it. The brand building supports it, but it taxed our team so much. It was an additional thing that we already do enough. And then you added this massive weight on top of what our team already does. So the gap is not, should we do it or not? It's who, not how, really good book. Who, not how, who is gonna own Grow With Video Live in the future? And until we have that right leader, I think I heard Craig Rochelle says, we plant campuses at the pace of there being a leader for it, not at the pace of trying to do 10 a year or something Hmm. like that. And so it's having the leader for it and until we have the leadership team that we could do it healthily, we're actually slowing down. And that just all comes from, it was amazing, but it was brutal, Carrie. I mean, it just, <laughs> yeah, so, I get it. I We've mean, all done those events where it's like, what were we thinking? And yeah. you can pull it off once or twice, but if that's every single week, 
Uh, that's really good counsel. So just a little bit more, because there's a lot of churches. I'm sure you've heard this too, because you're invested in the church space, even though you don't work in it these days um, directly. But there are churches dialing back on their digital, hoping that they will fill up the room, which I think is a terrible mistake. I mean, the future is online, the future is hybrid. And in person, I think you're right, people are craving that connection. How did you make, like, or can you give some tips for how you would make a live streamed camera different than just a fly on the wall or, you know, the main speaker. And think particularly about churches without mega church uh, resources. Like how could you make that work if you had a half million dollar budget, not a $5 million budget? Yeah, for sure. Well, I think that that also really applies to City Lights, maybe kind of a hybrid church. It's technically a mega church now, five services, um, uh, attendance is pretty big, but the room, the worship center, I think is about 250, 280 or something like that. Oh, it's even smaller than Conexus that and, size. Cause I always think we're small. We're like 375 or something like that. And I'm like, yeah. Ooh. but I built a broadcast studio when I built it with, well, we built it, uh, with a church attached. That was always my joke when I was touring people around. It's like, welcome to our broadcast location, our broadcast facility with the church attached. Uh, that was 2015, but Hey, I knew that was the future. Well, so no, they did is, a similar thing. That's a very pioneering mindset. I think actually that's the way to think is you should think entrepreneurs, business owners, pastors, ministries, all should think like media companies in a 2023 world. It, and so you were thinking broadcast studio, like in a way, it's almost like thinking like online first without outside. You could, you could think about either one first, but you should probably think about online first. Why? Because yeah. it's also like my friend Brady Shearer talks about. I think it's like the three six the three sixty four, which is the other three hundred and sixty four hours a week, not the one you have to speak to people. So the broadcast studio is not just capturing, it's not just impacting people there and streaming, but it's the YouTube upload, it's the micro content you can cut up from that, it's everything else that can happen there. So yeah, what I would think is, um, I invest, I reinvest in my business. One of the best things I could do is reinvest in my business. And I've spent so many years in ministry. I'm aware, you know, dollars are different. You're in a nonprofit context, but of course you are investing in buildings. You're investing in leaders. I think the first mindset is to just allocate resources to invest in this. I would also say you got to be bought in from the top down and then you need to cast vision to your leaders and also to the congregation that this matters and that this is an opportunity and who we can reach. I think it's also about knowing that on the other side of doing this well, um, giving will go up. My friend, mm -hmm. Mike Signorelli from V1 Church, I think hit a record in giving units. And I, I believe by Enjoy was recognized as one of the fastest growing churches. It was because of an online thing. It was because even though he has a multi-site church, it was because of embracing online and reaching more people locally in the United States and even internationally. So as a business owner, I always invest in team or technology today, even knowing that the return on investment might not be in six months, might not even be in 12. And your financial stewardship as a leader, belief in the future, taking some level of risk, but it's calculated risk, and your financial stewardship to be able to invest today, knowing that the ROI could be 12, 24, but even 36 months later, if you're good with money, which we try to be at Think Media, then this is what we've continually seen. So that's what I would encourage. Of course, you need to raise the money today or whatever it is. But what I'm getting at is just that this is not going any other direction. This is only the future <laughs> is forward in terms of social media, the internet, video, 
people being more dispersed, you know, what's happening in culture, the, the possibility of future lockdowns or things like that. You want to get ready now in understanding this skill set, you know, understanding hybrid, getting your, your church optimized. And so practical tips, as you asked, is I think that some things to be thoughtful of is, is set up a studio if possible, multiple angles switching, um, thoughtful camera angles that make people feel like they're sitting there. So we've maybe seen certain churches where if you've got maybe that slider shot over people's shoulders, in some cases, people will go a remote camera. Um, and when I maybe throw that out there, people might think, oh, that's a million dollars. It's just not. I think that's the other myth. It is money so, so what is for it? sure. Ballpark, but just so people know. I mean, I mean, you could really get things set up for 50K and really get things set up for 100K. A good, I mean, a good camera, 2,500 bucks. And then the remote thing for it, $1,000 to go wireless on a great camera and dial in three of those angles and then have a switcher. Um, of course, some other tools. I think one of the other big challenges to crack is the audio side, especially if you want to broadcast worship. That's a whole thing because you need somebody to mix worship. But at least on- It's a lot of work. It is yeah. a lot of work. And on the, on, the, on the message side though, just being thoughtful. And again- just as a resource, I think if you look at one of City Light's sermons, I think it's a two-angle situation. You've got the main angle on Pastor Jabin, and he's he's speaking, and then you have this slight slide angle angle side angle that's um it's on a remote slider that just goes back yep. and forth. So it's not even manned; it's back and forth, left to right. So there's always a little bit of movement there. It adds a production value, but it also is that angle, and it's lowered enough that you feel like you're sitting there. The other things they've invested in is lighting. Probably the big mistake mm-hmm. people make, and that's a lot more bang is, for your buck. Yeah. Is audio and lighting. Get your, pa- your stage painted right, meaning like the dynamics. You know where some people are in front of LED walls that are too bright. It washes them out. It mess. There's weird lines behind them. I understand that this could all be very overwhelming for the listener in the sense of like there's so many different details. But these are the nuances. If you get your lighting right you get kind of your stage set up right. You're thoughtful about the camera angles so they're clean, compelling, easy to see. You you invest in some simple technology. You get the right tools in place. And, and I would also mention, we have a couple Think Media videos on just my main YouTube channel that break down all of the gear I just descri- described. So if you just want a resource that walks through it step-by-step, step, we did our virtual event at our church, City Light Church, the last two years because we were able to just essentially rent the church because they had so thoughtfully, Omar and Kyle had built out the tech based on modern thinking. And again, I think if you add up everything we talk about in those videos, you're, I don't think you're at 100K. Now, my, there's the PA, and I'm, it's not like the lighting of the stage, but a lot of people listening to this, they already have maybe their building, right? So um, just the tech to get the cameras and everything else uh, yeah, you might be like 50, 75K and, and you would have what I would put, I put this up against anything. It is, it would be competing with the biggest and biggest of churches on a very bootstrap entrepreneurial s- spirit church plant. That's the thing. And that's what a lot of people don't understand is you don't have to have millions of dollars that actually your, let's say $80,000 setup. Most people, if you do it right, are not going to be able to tell the difference between that and an $800,000 setup or a $1.8 million setup. It just, and, you know, as to set design, there's so many hacks online. 
Uh, we still go to the church I founded. We support it, you know, everything like that. But like, sometimes I'll talk to the set design guys and I'm like, what is that? And they're like pizza boxes. I'm like, oh, really? Like it is, it is a lot of it is very MacGyvered, you know, um, in, a, in a cool way. Uh, okay. Well, we'll, uh, if your team could get us those links to those videos, we'll put them in the show notes so that, uh, people who don't have the million dollar budget can figure out what they can do. That would be, that would be awesome. Um, congrats on updating your book, by the way, it's called YouTube secrets. Got it right here. Um, updated second edition, the ultimate guide to growing your following and making money as a video influencer. So fantastic stuff, Sean. Um, so I would love to just do a broad overview of like what, what has changed big time because I'm in the middle right now of a reboot in my company because SEO has changed so much and everything is moving to video and text isn't what it used to be. So I'm in the middle of this right now and a lot of churches are trying to figure out video as well. Oh, before we get to that, I did have one more question. Let's say you have a really low budget. Music is really hard to do. Number one, a lot of churches, just let's be honest, let's talk shop here for a second. You know you don't have the best musicians. Let's just be honest, okay? So, uh, and even if you have good musicians sometimes, that ability to capture and mix well so it sounds good online is another level. For churches in that position where they either don't have the musicians or they don't have the technical ability to produce and mix music well, uh, which is really hard, do you think you can do a lot just with the message and with good hosting? Like, could you cut that piece out of your online experience? Do you have any thoughts on that? Just some thought triggers for people. And this does this applies for a, a very niche group, but different things I've seen. My friend, uh, Dr. Dave Martin planted, I think, Detroit Metro City Church. I believe it's a Hillsong church. Okay. And I believe what they did was they played um, a Hillsong video in their streams, and then he spoke, which brings me to point number two. I think that you could curate your online experience different than your in-person worship experience. And here, here's what I mean. You pre-record um, better worship. So what what local churches could do, like a hybrid, in, you know, a, a, a step in between these steps is, yes, mixing live and getting all that right is a big challenge. But sitting down and recording an acoustic song with a few things, with some decent mics. I mean, YouTubers are doing it. YouTubers are making, they're using USB mics. They're playing in their office. They're doing cover songs. They're getting millions of views. More controllable. You start going like four vocalists online on Sunday. You know, you would mute three of those vocalists because they're just up there for the diversity. Am I being still too too real? Uh, and, no, but, you know, we've all muted vocalists. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, and, and so though, but they're coming through online because they're muted in the in-person. And so that's muddled and, and the mix is off. So if you actually sit down and do some, just whatever you can sustain pre-recorded, then your, your idea, uh, what you could do is just maybe play a song or two, which I also think lends itself to a, an online audience better. Anyways, the stuff that church homes doing is like a lot of what feels like they hit play on a video. Obviously the message is pre-recorded of like Judah or Chelsea. Then you have like, they, and of course they got like Justin Bieber and, and Chandler or whatever, but like they that keep playing that same bit. song, mm-hmm. you know? And so, but that just tells you you're creating these assets and these elements and you're mixing them for that online experience. I think that 
the idea of all worship if you can't pull it off. You might go welcome, one song, message. And I know Judah's doing a lot of progressive stuff, but he's also, he's shortening the message. So your your online experience could be entirely different. It might just be the 32-minute version or something else. So so just think just thinking outside of the box as leaders as to how you could solve um, that problem. And then to your point, I would say, yeah, if you can't pull it off well, I, I would suggest don't do it at all. I, I, of course, the message can um, do well on its own, meaning you have that full-length YouTube upload. But then you, what you also have is these clips and these moments from the uh, sermon that can go out on vertical video and on these other platforms, and those become an asset in and of themselves. I think church leaders listening to this and communicators that that plan on distributing their 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 speaking on social could be more thoughtful about planning moments and clips that could potentially be used later on social. If I'm planting a church with the Sean Cannell mentality as the author of YouTube Secrets in 2023, I am thinking of, without disrespecting the in-person audience, I am crafting my sermon for my opening line to be a video hook. I'm crafting my sermon for how quickly I'm getting to the content, which I don't think is, by the way, this is not going to dishonor people in the room. They're actually going to be probably more pumped because it's more thoughtful. I might be thoughtful about saying, okay, team, I am going to have three minutes, five minutes of announcements and talking kind of local, but there's going to be a start point. And that start point is going to be a qualifying question, you know, so I'm going to open up and say, you know, so how do you actually raise children with biblical values in a complex 2023 world? And that's the way my sermon starts. And there's the opening line so that my YouTube video, that's exactly where it starts. So people know what they're getting into. Meaning if you're just thoughtful about crafting your content, then absolutely every Sunday when you stand up, you have an opportunity to, yes, honor, serve your congregation, to teach the Bible, uh, but then to also be aware of the world we're living in and that the extended reach of the effort you're putting into sermon prep can can be significant. That maps not just to impact and lives change for Christ, but also can map towards uh, growth, reach, new people discovering your church, awareness, social media growth, online attendance growth that can affect the bottom line as more people discover you. How can someone eventually be partnered with your church in giving if they don't even know who you are? And for a pastor listening to this, someone discovering you is on the other side of a TikTok clip of your sermon going micro viral. Someone discovering your church is on the other side of you really getting committed to Instagram reels, by the way, Facebook reels right now, and actually uh, uh, having those being thoughtfully produced. And that is not just, hey, tech team video guy, I wish you would do this better. It's actually also you owning, think like casting vision for it, but also architecting the way you communicate so that those pieces um you you at least give it a layup. This is going to be an alley oop. Mm. You you this is a team effort. So it's not just you, you need to do a better job at chopping up my sermon and distributing it on social media. Of course, resourcing them, encouraging them, and casting the vision. But it's also being thoughtful in the way you're crafting your communication so that um, that is possible and thoughtful in the way that human psychology and social media is working in today's world. 
Oh, that's so good. It feels like uh, we need to do a masterclass on that. And by the way, if you're a faith-minded business leader who sits on the board of your church, heavily involved at your church, gives to your church, just rewind this for 10 minutes and bring that to your senior pastor or leadership team. That's some of the best, most prescient advice I've heard in ages on what average resource churches can do for online. So good. Okay. Glad I interrupted myself. Back to your book. <laughs> okay, YouTube Secrets. Last few years, so much has changed. Give us an overview of what is changing in video and why video matters more now than ever, Sean. Carrie, here's a breakdown list in response to this question that I prepared. Number one, shorts. So YouTube shorts, which to be clear, are vertical video. And if we were to paint a broad stroke picture over vid vertical video, and I might state, I think the biggest opportunity for everybody listening to this in 2023 is vertical video. And so let's, let's just so everyone knows what that means. You're talking about what? What is vertical yeah, video? Yeah, so vertical video, there's nuances, but to oversimplify is going to be vertical. So the, the resolution of your phone, not horizontal, like a traditional video, right. you of course, so can portrait that orientation so portrait mode, less than 60 seconds. And that's it. And, and so now that is a vertical video. It is a video that's less than 60 seconds in portrait and, uh, not landscape and a vertical video can be uploaded in this moment. There's certain platforms where Sometimes your Instagram account only lets you do 30 seconds and eventually you get approved for a minute. Now it can do be 90 seconds. Interestingly enough, TikToks can be like up to 15 minutes on some accounts. Um, but the universal length is a minute. And the also universal strategy is keep it under a minute because then it most easily can be posted multiple places. Mm -hmm. So with the broad stroke of vertical video being an opportunity, I'm excited we could circle back to this as we are leaning in on YouTube. Um, and I do, I like to think about YouTube first, especially because you could think about creating a YouTube short, which I know I'm throwing all jargon out there, but it would just mean to think about creating a vertical video that's less than 60 seconds. And then you can upload it. And this is what we would do. We upload it on YouTube shorts. How do you do that? You just upload it on YouTube. YouTube discerns that, it's not a landscape video. It's not a horizontal video and it's less than 60 seconds. So they go, oh, it's a short. What that means is it's distributed different and YouTube now has on the bottom of a YouTube mobile app. And if someone's listening to this and you haven't updated your YouTube app in a while, you can update your YouTube app. You look at the bottom and there's one of the tabs is shorts. And then you mm -hmm. kind of a TikTok experience. You, and you go into that world. Also, when you're on your homepage, you'll see full-length video, kind of traditional full-length video. And then you'll see what's called the shorts shelf, which is a little thing you could swipe across in regards to seeing shorts content. And what's wild is these new discoverability methods, YouTube, I, I will butcher the numbers, five, 300 billion views a month or a day, it's or crazy. it's just a lot. Like it's, it's staggering how much viewership shorts is getting. And so we could come back to vertical video, but shorts is a big one. The second layer of that is YouTube just announced they're going to be splitting revenue share with content creators that are uploading shorts. And um, that is 45% to the creator. Mm. And they um, 
This is a big deal because it's going to attract a lot of people to YouTube away from other platforms because YouTube historically has like always TikTok. paid the best. Yeah. And this just kind of puts, so it just kind of shows not only, yes, TikTok is rising and there's other places, but YouTube is king. That's, that's like number three. Shorts, they're going to pay for shorts, but YouTube is king. It is the market domination. You'll see like a stat, but you got to understand the context of it. They're like, viewership of Gen Z has surpassed YouTube viewership and more people are watching TikTok at 26 minutes uh, a day. And on YouTube, mm -hmm. on Gen Z, it's only 23. So TikTok is bigger than YouTube. And you're like, no, th that's okay. Th we should not be ignoring that. But YouTube is a multi-generational. You'd be shocked how many baby boomers are not only creating content, but consuming content on YouTube. And um, YouTube is by far the absolute dominant video king and, and is taking even more market share. Um, and I think it's a smart bet to bet on them. And you heard Mr. Beast talking about this. He's like, I don't know. But by the way, TikTok might get shot, shut down. Who knows? Those are all these different yeah, thoughts. Yeah, yeah. It may or may not, but like, that's also not far-fetched. Like it very well could happen. Who knows? There's 2.6 billion monthly active users on YouTube. That means logged in with a Gmail account that log in at least one month. But the final one I want to mention, Carrie, is video podcasting. Yeah. So you can go to youtube.com forward slash podcasts, simply indicating that YouTube is thoughtful now about people that are doing podcasting on YouTube. They There was a leaked document from Alphabet, the parent company of YouTube and Google, about their podcasting plans. They hired an executive from another company to run podcasting. They've devoted half a million dollars to get audio-only podcasts to start doing video. That money is obviously used up, but meaning like influential people to try to kind of acquire talent. I think they acquired or did some kind of a deal with NPR to get 20 shows onto YouTube from a video podcast standpoint. And we don't know what's coming, but even the ingestion of RSS feeds, as well as then that commitment to video podcasting. Furthermore, this is a wild stat. YouTube is the number one platform where podcasts are listened to. By wow. Far, I did not know that Apple. as a podcaster. I didn't know that. Dramatically exceeding Apple and, and Bigger Spotify. than Apple podcasts, all that. And stuff. here's why. So think about it. I mean, if you could imagine Logan Paul, Impulsive, the H3H3 podcast, Joe Rogan, if you count clips, even though he's only on Spotify, YouTube is so much bigger by multiple factors in terms of consumption power anyways. So it doesn't matter how many quote unquote big podcasters there are on, on audio. They are for those that are still on, that are also on video. And then the fact that the Nelk boys and uh, valuetainment, Patrick, Bet David, these are massive podcasts that are video podcasts and, and what Lewis Howe school of greatness. These are people's preferred platform. It seems, and I'm sure many people listening to this don't even may log into YouTube, but on a, when you look globally, people are going to YouTube to listen in with the phone asleep. And, and you have to pay for, I think, an Android, you don't have to, I don't know, on, on Apple or uh, you do. But if you pay for YouTube premium, you can listen to your phone when it's off. Think about my behavior. I listen to all podcasts on YouTube. I pay for YouTube premium. But that final thing that people are predicting is that they would make video podcasts available in passive mode or with your lock screen closed to compete with these other platforms that allow you to do that without um, paying or whatever. 
So those are some big trends, shorts, video podcasting. Um, and I think all of those can be embraced, of course, by business leaders and church leaders alike. Yeah, you know, I'll just vouch for that. My joke always, we've been on YouTube now for a couple of years and, you know, you log on with a guest like we are and it's like, oh, are you recording video? And I'm like, yeah, but don't worry, like 98% of all the people who access this will be listeners, but that is really starting to change. We will still 10 or 20x listeners to viewers, but like some of the episodes have really taken off. And I would say we're putting way more intentionality into video in the future than we have in the past. But like, you know, it went from a few hundred, you know, views on YouTube to normally now a few thousand and many over 10,000, some over a hundred thousand. I think there's one at a quarter million. And it's like, that's just the algorithm. And on that note, uh, I want to I want to play off. So just, you know, to encourage people to invest in YouTube um, and YouTube premium. I hate ads. But anyway, I'm, I'm a big fan of YouTube premium. No ads. I agree. Uh, let, let's let's talk about TikTok and the algorithm there versus the algorithm on YouTube. So my friend Brian Clark, copy blogger, he said, and I want to get this uh, right. He said, uh, Content creators, he said, TikTok needs content creators, but content creators don't need TikTok. I thought that was a very interesting view. In other words, TikTok doesn't exist unless enough people pull out their phone and start recording something. But he argues that content creators don't necessarily need TikTok. You can own your platform. You can go to different places. And the algorithm on TikTok seems to be highly volatile. One video gets a million views. The next gets six. And you get a few rock stars, like superstars, but talk to people who are trying to get their content out there. The reliability of posting to YouTube versus TikTok or even Instagram Reels. Yeah, so a lot of thoughts. I think the first thought is, okay, TikTok needs content creators, but content creators don't need TikTok. This has been seen where um, a couple facts. The value of a TikTok viewer is a fraction of the value of a viewer or a listener or subscriber somewhere else. This chief marketing officer of HubSpot said, YouTube subscribers are the most valuable subscribers on the internet. Wow. There's layers to that. Yeah. It's, can we, can we, what, what, how do you define valuable? So the quality of the, the viewer, meaning maybe how serious they are, or if they're a professional, if they will pull out, make a buying decision, um, if they're more mature, more sophisticated. Um, additionally, the actual value of a YouTube subscriber, YouTube pays the best. And so YouTube pays the best when it comes to the ad revenue pro program. TikTok is a fraction. My friend Erica Kohlberg, with millions of views across all platforms, was like, she's not approved for Instagram for some reason, Meta. So that was like zero. Facebook was like $300, TikTok was $3,500, and YouTube was $300,000 in terms of <laughs> ad revenue paid. Holy cow, Three three thousand compared to $300,000? Crazy. Yeah, YouTube staggering. People have built whole businesses just off the YouTube uh, partner program. You know, there's a, uh, one of our content, he was actually just interning for us part-time. We're sorry to lose him. He's all in at his dad's church. His name's Evan Dido. Um, I don't, let's just say they went all in on YouTube without sharing the exact numbers. They've brought in multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars into their church from just the YouTube ads. 
I mean, you're a church leader listening to that. Like, yeah, the ads running on their video by being a part of the YouTube partner program. And he, and it was funny too. He goes, I, 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 his dad, he came to our event, Growth Video Live. He's the senior pastor. And he was like, uh, Alan Dido. And he's like, yeah, he's like, um, yeah, I kind of, I didn't even know that was happening. Like we just wanted to get content out there and impact people. Um, and, and then he was like, this is a cool, and, and they, they, they actually started doing, they're kind of in more of that prophetic stream. They, uh, they started doing, um, a, a media conference because of how their YouTube channel has grown to, I think just 220,000 subscribers. And so then them also thinking video first or also having different content or online only content and stepping into that world of interviewing guests like you do, or having kind of a video podcast mentality or having different, different content. So all that to say is that's another reason that YouTube subscribers would be more valuable. Furthermore, what you also see is that there was a, I've been going to VidCon in Anaheim for like the last eight years. That's the largest video conference, very fan-based. Most people here would probably feel uncomfortable there because it's, I, I do. I'm like, is I'm it like not Comic-Con into, or what? Like, yeah, it's kind of more Comic-Con, but I mean, just meaning it's very like young people so excited to see their favorite YouTube star. And I don't even know who these people are, YouTube musician, but there is a whole industry floor and there's a creator level. And uh, many years I'm invited to speak there saying that they do these meetups. And so historically, what would be like any celebrity, these YouTube creators and now social media creators will get lines of people. And this is a chance for people to have a scheduled meetup to get an autograph, actually meet the person. And so there was this TikToks star named, I believe, Africa Grace, and the story kind of went viral, who has 3.2 million followers on TikTok. And at VidCon, there was the lines and it was all like an airport, all lined up, like thousands of people were going to show up and nobody showed up to her meetup, which is sad. And then eventually like one person came and then like four people eventually came. But here's the takeaway. It was that historically, if you were a YouTube creator and you built an audience there, it's like people that would show up, take action. They want to come meet you. That on TikTok, the relationship is so much more shallow. And what the final trend you notice is that once someone reaches TikTok fame, they all want to move. They all go, great. I have awareness now. So now let me go to YouTube where I'm going to be established and actually go to the serious platform. Great. I have awareness now. Let me go to YouTube where I'm going to be on the sustainable platform financially. So I think that quote is exactly right. And with all of my comments about TikTok, we are actively investing there um, right now. And that simply means essentially being hiring an editor to just be focused on, I would say, vertical video, but it's a younger editor focused on kind of Gen Z mentality, TikTok first. They're not quote unquote TikTok videos. I'm also not like using the native app and like putting a face filter on my face or any of that stuff. It's just like really education-based content that every leader here could relate to, um, clips from podcasts or clips from other things. However, it is edited in such a way. So I'm investing $4,000 a month to an editor that does one vertical video a day. That's 31 in a month. And the ROI is absolutely there for us. And here's why. Because not only have we had some pretty wild things happen on TikTok, 
in terms of at least vanity metrics, our most viewed video of all time is 25 million views, 26 million views. It's on TikTok. We've got 26 million, 3 million, 6 million, just another 1 million, 330,000. And to your point, I think what the game looks like in 2023 is we also have our numbers are a little higher now, but 300, 770, 159, half a million. Like, so I vertical video, that is the way it's working pretty much everywhere that you have to get less. Uh, don't overestimate any one post, but don't mm. underestimate the commitment to consistent posting because that gives you your opportunity for these breakout videos to happen. And then the other trend we finally noticed is, well, what if TikTok gets shut down? I'm like, it would be a bummer because we are investing dollars, but we're not creating 31 TikToks a month. We're creating 31 vertical videos a month. And then we're thoughtfully distributing those on Facebook Reels, Instagram Reels, YouTube Shorts, LinkedIn will upload the vertical video. And then watch this one. This is a nugget. Pinterest vertical video. I just went on an Israel trip with a bunch of Christian content creators and pastors and leaders and teachers, 22 of us. And Andrew Carter's like, hey man, oh, I shouldn't say the amount now, but he showed me, I, I won't say the amount. He made over $10,000 from in, in, over a series of months. And he does like, he's a church planner now in the LA area and uh, their church is launching soon, but he's been creating uh, like these pray with me vertical videos. And he like, I go, what? And he goes, yeah, from the Pinterest beta vertical video program. I go, bro, slow down. Wait, okay, so wait a minute. Pinterest is doing vertical video number I one. I thought Pinterest two, was very 2012. Yeah. Yeah, it's what crazy. are you even talking about, Andrew? Like, <laughs> what is happening? But- then, and then first of all, you know, I get super stressed. I'm like, there's a whole nother thing to do. And even though, and I'm blessed, I've got a team. And then I'm thinking like, I bring it up to them. They're like, when is it going to end? How many platforms do we have? <laughs> but after, you know, a little bit of that anxiety and stress, it's like, okay, well, we're already committed to the discipline of creating thoughtful, modern communication, vertical video. That's another place to distribute. And so as we create these assets, we can upload them anywhere. And, and Carrie, what I'll say is take some of our best, you know, performing videos or an average performing video. It might be a million on TikTok, 86,000 on YouTube shorts, 200,000 on Instagram reels. It, it, back up some months to just, you know, we're all starting at different places. It, what you could expect as a leader doing this is 222 views on TikTok, 10,000 on Instagram reels because it really hits and people share it and put it on their stories because that's where your audience is more active. Listening to this, you didn't even know Facebook reels is a thing. You drop it over there. You check back later. You're like, this thing's still going. It has 3,300 views. Pinterest, seven. But it was just an extra place to upload. You're like thoughtful, mm -hmm. you know? And then, so so I think that's kind of what it looks like. And it's very, we haven't cracked the code we will study one that will upload across all platforms. We'll look back and we'll be like, this is the other way I evaluate it. I'm like, we just won. If it's 10,000 yep. here, 2,000 here, 1,800 here, 56 here, add them all together. Like we, we, we won. And of course, I'm also not, I don't want to be vanity metric or hype filled. This has to map towards, um, is your following growing? Are you thoughtful about is, what is the point of that? Do you have kind of an online outreach for your ministry? 
What is your business drivers? Does that mean growing your email list? Is that mean a conversation in the DMs? Does that mean somebody getting on the phone with you in a sales situation? Like it, we also absolutely track how this maps fully down the funnel towards our goals. Church leaders can do the same um, mm -hmm. because again, I, I think the other overestimation would be like, wow, we got a viral TikTok. Well, who cares? What did that actually lead to? What did it produce? Um, yeah. But yeah, what did it produce? No, that's so good. And, you know, uh, our uh, social media manager, Carly Volinsky, who's also my EA, she took that over about a year ago. And um, I was always intimidated by video. I mean, I've got this nice little Sony Alpha 6000 or whatever in front of me that does this, but it's always so much work to like record, make sure the audio's right. So I've just been shooting on my phone. We got this one video I just released. A, it took me two minutes. It's like how to stop gossip in your church. And it's based on an insight from a blog post I wrote, just repurposed content. And I literally whipped it off in about a minute, minute and a half. And it's got 40,000 views on the reel. I only have 50,000 followers on 50 whatever on Instagram. And that's just evidence that, you know, there was no production, almost. Somebody edited it. It was just me sitting there riffing on how to stop gossip in your church and it just took off. And I mean, we're going to be doing deeper into video. I, I want, because man, time is just flying. But talk about the perfect video recipe. So for people who are ready to get started in vertical video, to pull out their phones, what is the perfect video recipe? You kind of go through it. You got a whole chapter in your book, but I'd love for you just to give us the, the synopsis of that. Yeah. So the perfect video recipe is the big idea, the hook, the content, and the transition. And that's specifically related to YouTube, starting with the end. The transition means the best thing you can do on YouTube is give, is encourage the viewer to watch another video. YouTube gives you end cards, um, which is during the last 20 seconds of your video, you can have another video pop on screen. For anybody who's consumed in uh, video, uh, YouTube before, it'd be like maybe at the end, after your sermon, you pop on camera and you go, thanks so much for, you know, checking out this message from uh, our church subscribe if you're not subscribed and click the screen uh, right now to watch another video from uh, another message in this series. So that's the transition. And I say, I start with that end because if you were somewhere else, it would be the call to action. It would be the, the big idea, the hook, the content, and then the call to action. Just what do you want the viewer to do next? Breaking them down simply, what people miss the most is they think about what am I going to say? What's the content about? Um, and it starts earlier than that. The reason the first ingredient is the big idea is what's really going to help you win on social media is the topic you choose to talk about. How to stop gossip in your church. The content after that clearly was good, but it's the topic that is the reason that got 40,000 views. It struck a chord. It's something that probably every church leader could relate to is maybe dealing with in this moment it's also, that's, that hits a lot harder than three ways to be a better leader. Yeah, exactly. like that's like not so generic, bad, right? But it's generic. So the topic itself is one of your biggest opportunities. Speaking of my world a little bit, we found that we call the tr strategy trend surfing. When we cover trending topics, like if we talk about Jeff Bezos or we talk about Elon taking over Twitter, or we talk, well, that's a topic. Mm -hmm. And and you could say, well, yeah, you're, you're kind of writing on someone else's influence. Yeah. That's why it's called trend surfing and influence surfing. Like we, 
it's the topic though. So if you also were to talk about, um, you, you need to be tuned in. What is the idea here? What is on people's minds? What is keeping them up at night? What is going to stand out? And so for YouTube, the big idea is getting clear on the topic. It's getting clear on the title and it's getting clear on the thumbnail. And the power here is, you know, all of these things before you actually create the content. The mistake a lot of people make is if, even if you were doing a quick Instagram video is you just talk, you hit record, you just talk. And then you're like, what should I title this? So you're actually kind of like doing it in the wrong order. You should start with what is the title? And here's what the title is too. It's a compelling hook, which kind of bleeds into the hook. Like how to stop gossip in your church is the title, is the topic, and is also an incredible hook. And the opening line would be like, have you ever wondered how to stop gossip in your church? And all of yeah. those things are aligned now. It's a great topic. It's a great title. It's a great hook. And so the hook now, that second ingredient, that's your first 10, 20 seconds. And this is your opportunity now to where we're all scrolling on social media. And if if something at least catches our eye, we don't commit to the whole thing. We commit to the first few seconds and we make a decision right away whether we're gonna keep watching that or not. Everyone listening to this is guilty of it. You're on Instagram, you thought something was gonna be interesting, you read the title, and then as it opens up, you go, yeah, no, I'm gonna keep scrolling, I'm gonna move yeah. on, I'm gonna go somewhere else. 100%. If you do the hook effectively, you grip and grab the viewer, and so ways to do that would be like, you can ask a qualifying question to let the viewer know, like, are you frustrated by the amount of gossip in your church right now? Or have you, uh, you know, something that lets them know they're in the right place. And then you could layer things on like, uh, I want to share with you a three part system, kind of a weird thing to say, maybe with gossip, but you know, that's what I might say. Are you, are you, are your YouTube videos not getting views? And have you hit a plat plateau in this video, I'm going to be sharing a weird, there's some marketing language, kind of some copy. I'm going to share with you a weird discovery I found after studying a thousand YouTube videos from the top creators and a real three, three part formula I learned from that. And make sure to watch until the end of the video, because I'm also going to be sharing a really cool YouTube analytic that if you study it and improve it, it'll help your videos get more views. So that was kind of a hook. It was like packing the front with compelling reasons to listen to the end. If I was a pastor freestyling here, I might say, you know, so what is the book of Romans and why does it have relevance for our life? And then I think about three bullet points. How could Romans affect our relationships? How should we be reacting to the government right now? Should we be on an extreme polarizing side or is there a different way? And what is the way of Jesus? And how does this, so, so you're now, someone's like, wow, I want to do all of those things or all of mm -hmm. those things are on my mind or all of those things. And especially more so, I know we're kind of bleeding between social media and YouTube, but for a church leader, you're trying to get someone to listen to 30 minutes. Your hook can be 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes. It's that opening that grips the individual, which is not just true in person, but would also be true online. Then it's the content. Be brief, be bright, be fun, and be done. Structure your content. I like, for most of us as teachers, um, I like to tease that there are actual points. There's a lot of power in that. It keeps you organized, keeps the viewer engaged, listener engaged. But it also is a reason to watch until the end. Like I want to actually get all of the points. Um, and then the call to action, which every good sermon has as well. What do you want me to do? You know, it's core, it's sort of like heart, uh, you know, hands, what, what is what heart, head, hands. 
So yeah. heart, you first grip them with emotions. Head, what is the practical one, two, three? And then hands, what do I actually do with this? How do I put this into practice during my week? And so, um, you know, for the marketer, it's how do I go to the next step with you or follow up with something to capture a lead for, um, on social media, it could be as simple as leave a comment or share this, you know, if this resonated with you, share this, which would be a best practice for how things spread online. And it's that trigger and that reminder to like, and share, or leave a comment. Maybe you share something powerful with your community and you want feedback. If this resonated with you, can you leave me a comment of some, some further clarity on this? So the call to action isn't just click subscribe or go buy something or go get my book or go download something or do whatever. There's a lot of different things you can include in that. So that was kind of a lot. I can't even get into all the nuances. In the book, we actually talk about the four ingredients, but we even talk about 10 spices. So mm. how do you actually, and then what I would encourage people with is I, I wanted to design the perfect video recipe because a while back I subscribed to HelloFresh, which is a subscription box for cooking dinner for your family. Now, I'm not a good cook. I don't know how to cook, but it was actually a gift subscription. And somebody, you know, subscribe me to HelloFresh. So this box gets shipped to us. We open it up. There's ingredients in there. There's some meat products in there. And then there's a card with a recipe. And so I realized, even though I didn't have confidence and I'm not great at cooking and I didn't do it well the first, second, or even 10th time, all I did was I followed the recipe. And next thing you know, I popped the chicken out and I thought I was Martha Stewart. I was like, honey, I am Anthony <laughs> Bourdain. Like I, uh -huh. I am the greatest. And mind you, there's been a few times where I've left the chicken in too long. It was a little bit dry. Or I realized, oh, I did the, I didn't quite read the recipe right. And I did the ingredients in the wrong order. And I forgot to even put the onions in the middle of the meatballs. Man, we missed out on that distinction. But here's the key. Every time I keep showing up in the kitchen and keep following the recipe, I get a little bit better. I'm getting results along the way because we're being fed sometimes based on my mistakes a little better than others. But listening to this, that's what I want to encourage people. Get the perfect video recipe and get in the kitchen and just start cooking and start putting those videos out there. Some will be better than others. Don't overthink it. Just keep showing up, keep cooking. And eventually, this is a skill set we all need as leaders. A year from now, two years from now, three years from now, you're going to be an all-time chef. You're going to be someone who can comfortably show up and deliver communicating on video. Just use the perfect video recipe. So good, man. I'm so glad you've updated this because things change so quickly. It's called YouTube secrets. Make sure you get the second edition. Uh, Sean, where can people find you and the uh, wonderful team at think media these days online? So I uh, appreciate it. And thank you, Carrie, for having me on. I, um, Think Media is the main YouTube channel. That is going to be your go-to resource for, hey, what camera should I get? What lighting should I get? And I will make sure we get you the show notes of those church tech-related episodes so people can go directly to those. Um, the other place is, is the Think Media podcast where we go deeper into strategic conversations like that. That's a video podcast, as we should. But we also, for anyone who would want to maybe study how we are approaching our YouTube channel and our audio content and how we're kind of blending those together. We're two years in now. I've learned so much from you, Carrie, so much. You mentioned Pat Flynn earlier. I didn't even answer the question, but maybe for another time. Uh, we, uh, but, but anyways, our, our, our podcast is going great. And, and that's a place for, yes, how do I get 
uh, specifically leverage YouTube? Um, what are the best practices? What what are the thinking, the frameworks, and the strategy? So that's called the Think Media Podcast. And then my name is Sean Cannell, rhymes with YouTube channel. And uh, that's all the social media handles are just my first and last name. Sean, fantastic, as always. I love time flies when we talk. And thanks so much for building into so many people. Appreciate you. Thank you, Carrie. Well, there's a lot of good stuff there. And we did link to what Sean and I talked about in the show notes. You can find that at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 539, where you will find show notes going all the way back to episode one. And then somewhere along the line, we started transcripts too. So uh, if you want to go into specifics, well, we can share that with your team as well. And again, thank you to all of you who are sharing this on social. Make sure you hit up Sean. He's at Sean Cannell on almost every channel. And make sure you hit him up and let him know how grateful you are for this as well. And when you do that... Hey, you know what? That really makes a difference. And when you leave a rating and review, uh, wherever you listen to this podcast, that's fantastic. So we're pretty much everywhere podcasts are heard. And we got a really exciting 2023. But before we get there, next episode, Jason Pfeiffer. He's the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine and a really fascinating guy. Have a listen to an excerpt. You know, it's funny. I'll travel around and I'll speak to these companies about how to adapt and then somebody will inevitably in the Q&A raise their hand and they'll be like, okay, adaption guy, but you run a print magazine. Um, so, you know, high from the 1940s, like what is up with that, you know? Um, and, and the answer, my answer is, okay, so look, you ask the question, what is it for of the things that you do? And then you have to take the answers really seriously. And when I ask the question, what is a print magazine for, or even more broadly, what is content for? Well, if I was asking that question decades ago, pre-internet, the answer was really clear. Content was for monetization. So you, there were two primary ways to make money off of content. You could sell ads against it, and you could sell subscriptions to it. And uh, that, those were good businesses. Now, those are hard businesses. Also coming up, we're going to catch up with Adam Duckworth, how he weathered the pandemic with a travel company. Then we're kicking off the new year with James Clear, Chris Anderson from TED, Annie F. Downs, Mark Sayers, Tim Keller, Andy and Sandra Stanley, and so much more. That's all coming up. Oh, by the way, John Mark Comer too. It's going to be a fantastic 2023. If you enjoyed listening, please leave a rating and review. And I want to give you something for free. All right. So if you're going to launch a podcast, write a book, create a website, or build any type of online presence, I run the Art of Leadership Academy, and I put together a free mastermind for you to help with exactly that. So if you want something free, maybe you can do this over your Christmas vacation, and you want to see whatever you're working on, your podcast book, website, any type of email strategy you're using take off next year, go to influencekickstarter.com. That's influencekickstarter.com. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. I can't believe we get to do this and we're going to do it again next time. Thank you for tuning in. And hey, if you had a growth barrier around video, well, hopefully we broke that for you. That's what we want to do. <laughs>